0: Welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Swans, and today is the sixth Sunday in Easter. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Grant, Almighty God, that we may celebrate with heartfelt devotion these days of joy, which we keep in honour of the risen Lord and that what we relive in remembrance, we may always hold to in what we do. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, for ever and ever.
1: Amen. A reading from the Acts of the Apostles. Some men came down from Judea and taught the brothers, Unless you have yourself circumcised... In the tradition of Moses, you cannot be saved. This led to disagreement and after Paul and Barnabas had had a long argument with these men, it was arranged that Paul and Barnabas and others of the church should go up to Jerusalem and discuss the problem with the apostles and elders. Then the apostles and elders decided to choose delegates to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. The whole church concurred with this. They chose Judas, known as Basabas, and Silas, both leading men in the brotherhood, and gave them this letter to take with them. The apostles and elders, your brothers, send greetings to the brothers of pagan birth in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. We hear that some of our members have disturbed you with their demands and have unsettled your minds. They acted without any authority from us, and so we have decided unanimously to elect delegates and to send them to you with Barnabas and Paul, men we highly respect who have dedicated their lives to the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accordingly, we are sending you Judas and Silas, who will confirm by word of mouth what we have written in this letter. It has been decided by the Holy Spirit and by ourselves not to saddle you with any burden beyond these essentials. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from fornication. Avoid these, and you will do what is right. Farewell. The word of the Lord.
2: Thanks be to God.
1: O God, let all the nations praise you.
2: O God, let all the nations praise you.
1: O God, be gracious and bless us, and let your face shed its light upon us. So will your ways be known upon earth, and all nations learn your saving help.
2: O God, let all the nations praise you.
1: Let the nations be glad and exult, for you rule the world with justice. With fairness you rule the peoples, you guide the nations on earth.
2: O God, let all the nations praise you.
1: Let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. May God still give us his blessing To the ends of the earth revere him.
2: O God, let all the nations praise you. A reading from the book of the Apocalypse. In the spirit... The angel took me to the top of an enormous high mountain and showed me Jerusalem, the holy city, coming down from God out of heaven. It had all the radiant glory of God and glittered like some precious jewel of crystal clear diamond. The walls of it were of a great height and had twelve gates. At each of the twelve gates there was an angel and over the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. On the east there were three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. The city walls stood on twelve foundation stones, each one of which bore the name of one of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. I saw that there was no temple in the city, Since the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb were themselves a temple, and the city did not need the sun or the moon for light, since it was lit by the radiant glory of God, and the Lamb was a lighted torch for it. The Word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God.
2: Alleluia, alleluia. All who love me will keep my words and my Father will love them, and we will come to them.
0: Hallelujah. The Lord be with you.
1: And with your spirit.
0: A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John.
1: Glory to you, O Lord.
0: Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we shall come to him and make our home with him. Those who do not love me do not keep my words. And my word is not my own, it is the word of the one who sent me. I have said these things to you while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all I have said to you. Peace I bequeath to you, my own peace I give you. A peace the world cannot give. This is my gift to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled or afraid. You heard me say, I am going away and shall return. If you loved me, you would have been glad to know that I am going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. I have told you this now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you may believe. The Gospel of the Lord.
1: Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ.
0: So the first reading today from the Acts of the Apostles puts us in contact with one of the great controversies in the early church. And this is the relationship between this new movement of the Messiah, of Jesus of Nazareth, with the Judaism from which it sprung. Was it necessary... For the Gentiles who came to believe in the name of Jesus, was it necessary for them to become Jews? Did they need to obey the law of Moses? So, did male converts need to be circumcised? Did all the Gentiles need to follow the food laws around what was clean and unclean? Now, this great controversy opened up the need for the first council in the church in Jerusalem. And there we see the apostles gathered to discuss the issue and to be guided by the Holy Spirit, who, as Jesus promised in the gospel, was there to remind them of all that Christ had taught. Now, the outcome of this council in Jerusalem is given in the first reading of the Acts of the Apostles. um, And it affirms that converts don't need to become observant Jews in order to be followers of Jesus. And you'll notice that this is a constant theme in the writings of St. Paul, who um, had to battle against those forces within the church which sought to impose the law of Moses on those who'd never lived it before. And St. Paul repeats often that it's not obedience to the law which brings justification, it's faith in Jesus. And so we see a kind of tension open up. For the Jews, it was obedience to the law, which was the sign of their justification. But St. Paul writes that the obedience to the law can't accomplish what Christ has done for us in his saving death. Now, this controversy isn't something which is just consigned to the history books, a kind of old fact that's really only important for students and scholars because it touches on something at the very core of the human heart. Can I be a good disciple of Jesus just by following the rules? And if it's not just about following the rules, then what's the point of the rules? Here lies the tension. And Jesus gives this statement to help us navigate the controversy. He says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him, And we shall come to him and make our home with him. So what's the priority? What comes first? It's not obedience. It's love. This is the starting point. It's friendship. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. It's the fact of being his friend. Of being drawn into a relationship of love with Christ. Jesus and his disciples can't be strangers to one another. You can't just read the book of Jesus. You've got to meet him. But at the same time, this friendship isn't one without a structure. Being someone's friend means acting in accord with that friendship. Spouses know that the deep and abiding love that they have for each other means that their behaviour needs to be shaped by that love. The love of a spouse means being faithful to the other, open to their life, deeply concerned for their interests. If I love you, I'll tell you when I'm coming home. If I love you, I'll care for you when you get sick. If I love you, I won't just live my life on my own terms. Love brings each spouse to live their lives for the other. And so there's a kind of lifestyle, a rule of life, which comes as the consequence of this love. But is it just naked obedience? No. The starting point's friendship. If a man lived the life of a husband for his wife but in fact had no love for her, then outwardly it would look like he was doing what a husband does, but in fact the actions lack their true meaning, which is love. It's much the same now with Christ. It's not enough simply to live the life of a Christian but be a stranger to Jesus. That would be a really elaborate kind of role play. Obedience to the rules isn't enough. It needs to be grounded in love. But true love leads to a rule of life which expresses and supports that love. It means living as a disciple of Jesus, according to his teachings and imitation of the master. So love comes first. But can we leave aside the rules? No. But the question is the order of priority. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Keeping the Lord's word, obeying his teachings, derives from our love and friendship with him. Jesus himself has been obedient to the Father, proclaiming the word which was not his own, but only the word of his Father. And all of this derives from his friendship with the Father. And so it's not simply obedience to the law which justifies, but our faith, our love in him. And it's out of this faithful friendship that our obedience, our discipleship derives. And we can see that the fruit of this true discipleship is intimacy. Listen to what Jesus says. And my father will love him, and we shall come to him and make our home with him. The Lord's not looking for robots who follow rules, things that can be programmed. He's looking for disciples who listen to his voice and who follow him. Of course, it means living in his love. But it starts with living out of his love. I suppose it raises another question, though. Does that mean, then, that the times when we obey is the times when we really feel like it? when it really accords with our emotions, when I'm so conscious of the love of Christ that, of course, I'm going to pray now. But you know what, Lord, if I'm not feeling it, um, I'd better not pray because it won't come off as sincere. <laughs> it's a sneaky little temptation. Love comes first. But is love always a feeling? And a life lived in love. A life shaped by that love. Is it always one that's floating on a cloud of emotion? Nope. Again, spouses know this and know it well. Sometimes the most powerful expressions of love are the ones that are not accompanied with an overflowing emotion. Love speaks most powerfully when it's accompanied by sacrifice. Yeah, it didn't give me warm and fuzzies, but I did it for you. I spent myself for your sake. Yeah, love comes first, but it's not a schmaltzy, saccharine, hallmark kind of love. It ain't always teddy bears and chocolates. Actually, often it's the cross. So I suppose here's the challenge. Doing something for the sake of blind obedience without a grounding in friendship, in love. That's not what puts us in right relationship with God. But on the other side, if I'm always waiting for that sense of satisfaction, if I'm waiting for that moment when I really feel it and it all feels sincere, then you know what? My relationship's probably going to starve. And so there's a kind of symbiotic relationship here, I think. You can't be a disciple of Jesus without loving him, without constantly choosing his friendship, that deliberate and constant choice to be faithful to him and to follow him. But on the flip side, don't let a lack of feeling turn your yes into a no. If it's hard... Keep going. If it's dry, keep going. If it asks for a sacrifice, keep going. That kind of faithful perseverance isn't insincere. In fact, it's the deepest expression of a love that is commitment, rather than a love that's addicted to the sugar high of feelings all the masters of the spiritual life will often speak about the initial enthusiasm and rush of emotion that comes from a newfound conversion returning towards Christ. We're buzzing, and we can't understand why anyone else can't see what we see, can't feel what we feel. But, say these doctors of the spiritual life, God won't let you get hooked to the sugar rush At some point, his presence kind of retreats. He's not gone and we're not abandoned, but we don't feel him quite like he was before. Prayer doesn't produce the buzz that it once did. We don't quite get the same sense of satisfaction at having completed God's will. And so I'll often have to pray without consolation. Grind it out in the dryness shrugging my shoulders thinking, well was any of that prayer? Where are you God? And why aren't you listening? And why isn't my prayer working like it used to? Well that's a period of purification. You can almost hear the Lord saying actually more than loving me You loved me for how I made you feel. And so the Lord will dry up our feelings so that we can seek him, not out of the overwhelming rush of emotion, but out of the solid commitment of the heart. Lord, I want you. Not just the favours you can do for me, not just the feelings you can inspire within me, but you. That moment of purification, of kind of purgation, is a time when our hearts are really being straightened out. So what do I do if I'm in that phase? Keep praying. Keep coming to God who feels so far away. The Lord reminds us, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we shall come to him and make our home with him. The goal finally, therefore, is the indwelling of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A close, intimate bond that's described as being one with him. Abiding in him. The Lord making his home within us.